0: hello welcome to the podcast this is episode three i'm selvage who is not going to be your host today who's just going to be doing the intro today's hosts are sammy may and sierra who are going to be interviewing caroline who is going to introduce herself now
1: yeah um thanks y'all for introducing yourselves cool that this cohort is like all across the bay um my name is caroline My pronouns are she her Um, I'm a lead youth organizer at the Chinese Progressive Association. Um, I started at CPA around 2017. So my four years is coming up. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I'm originally from Orange County and I live in Oakland. And then I went to Berkeley for college. Yep.
2: Alright, so I think we can get started now. Um, so it will be May, me and Sia interviewing you today. Uh, May, do you want to get us started? Yeah. Um, so my first question is, what is the purpose and or mission of the Chinese Progressive Association?
1: Yeah, so um, the mission of CPA is pretty much like to work with working class, low income Chinese families in San Francisco. Um, and to really fight for the dignity and justice of this community, but also do it in solidarity with other oppressed communities. And so we're building power collectively um, and fighting for the rights of everyone. Um, and CPA is a grassroots organization, and so we're membership-based. Um, and so what that means is that like we wouldn't be able to do the work without like being in touch with the community building a base of members um, across San Francisco and um, participating strategically in alliance work um, with other organizations um, that align with our mission. Um, Yeah, so that's our mission. And then was, was your question just like the mission and purpose?
2: Yes. Okay,
1: yeah. I mean, and I don't know if I have anything to add to the purpose. Broadly speaking, like, like what we really want is to fight for a world where people you know don't feel like they have barriers to being who they want to be and um to feeling resourced um and our the the big tactic that we like to use is community organizing which means that you're uh building up the leadership of the community locally so that they can advocate for what they want instead of like going into communities and advocating on their behalf. Um, and our work is spread across uh, like three-ish different areas. Um, we have the Tenant Worker Center, which works with um, our adult membership. And uh, it consists of folks who come in because number one, they're experiencing like wage theft as a worker and they wanna fight for their rights as a worker Or number two, they live in like single-room occupancies and they're looking um, to be a part of a space that's able to advocate for housing rights. Um, And then our other part of our work is with the youth. And so we also work with high schoolers um, through a program called Youth Mojo. And in this program, young people are able to talk about different social issues going on in their lives through workshops and also get support in kind of like Executing um, some campaign work on issues that they may be passionate about and we've been working on mental health for a while with our young people, which I know you all are working on this summer. As your action project, and then the third area is kind of like our elections work um, and we throw down for um, different ballot initiatives that are happening as well Um, yeah so that's pretty much like our mission purpose. yeah so I
2: know you mentioned that you work a lot with like the community and with youth, but we're also wondering like as a lead youth organizer, what specifically do you do and what responsibilities do you have?
1: Yeah, so um, being a lead youth organizer means like, it's part of it is management and then part of it is kind of like overseeing the youth work. Um, And so my role is to pretty much own and um, lead the campaign work that's happening within the youth programs. And what that looks like is that uh, I'm not necessarily doing the campaign work, but I'm providing the infrastructure and the space for young people to be able to engage in the work that they wanna do. Um, This summer, like our young people are working on a recovery campaign, um, which is a campaign on what they wanna be able to advocate for as we're coming out of a pandemic. And there's three different areas organizationally that we're trying to address. The first is worker rights. The second is um, equitable schools. And the third is uh, community safety. Um, And the youth are currently working in the equitable schools bucket. Um, And so my job is to kind of support them in having a process so that they can develop like a vision for what they wanna see for equitable schools, um, the demands that they wanna be able to create later in the fall and then a plan for how they want to like make sure the demands are met the other part of our campaign work is the ongoing our healing in our hands campaign not sure if michelle's mentioned this at all in coro um, but to summarize it's kind of like it's a mental health campaign that young people at our organization started in 2017 to not only like advocate for mental health resources but to increase youth decision-making power at their schools when it comes to mental health So my job would pretty much be to support them, you know, in the, through the campaign process as they're fighting to implement. Um, They won this campaign back in 2019 and they're in the implementation phase. And so as a lead organizer, you're kind of having that bird's eye view in terms of like, who do the, who do young people need to connect with and build relationship with at school sites, at the district level, so that they're able to continue to advocate for their campaign as it's being implemented, um, because our healing your h- hands was something that was started in 2017. It was won in 2019 by passing a policy, but as you all may know, like just because you pass a policy, things don't really happen unless you're like in the part of the planning process to make it happen. And so like I would be, you know, trying to build relationships with different school site folks build out a long-term campaign strategy plan, um, and then support youth in preparing them so that they feel ready to engage in like meetings with stakeholders, meetings with young people to to get input and feedback, and so on and so forth. Um, The other side of like the lead youth organizer work is kind of like building alliances too. And so relationship building is a big part of what I do. And we wouldn't be able to do the community organizing work without having kind of the ears to the ground and being connected with communities outside of just our base. So a lot of that is like figuring out what are which of our allies do we need to maintain regular contact with. Um, and, like, and like doing a lot of get to know you conversations with different people for the sake of relationship building, um, so that when we throw down for something, we know we have each other's back. Um, and then the other side is like the management. So that's, that means I'm having a bird's eye view on all the youth programming that we have and just making sure that folks feel supported as they're executing, coordinating youth programs, managing the youth team. So supporting them with like staff development. Um, staff development means like trainings or any like workshops that staff need in order to like do their job well. Um, and then also like supervising um, different staff.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for sharing about your role of a um, youth lead organizer. Organizer, um, it's really interesting to know that you're providing infrastructure and space to the youth. So we were wondering, um, what do you think the most difficult aspect about being a lead youth organizer
2: is?
1: Yeah, I think it's I think it's actually balancing the um, the bird's eye view work to like. The ears on the ground connections to the community work because i think through the management through the alliance building like uh, it does suck up a lot of your time and through strategy conversations that also sucks up a lot of your time and it's and you have to be intentional about making sure that whatever decisions you make as a lead is connected to what community the community actually wants and so that would also mean that i have to like be able to have regular contact with the young people that we work with and have a regular dialogue with our membership. So I understand where their members are at as I'm like going off and doing the Alliance building work, for example. And so, you know, there are moments where I have to rely on like other staff and my team to get a better understanding of where young people are at. Um, And there are moments where like it can feel disconnected, especially on Zoom, like, you know, I'm like, wait who is this young person again because I'm not like coordinating the regular youth program you know like and then like thinking about like okay like who do I need to make sure I you know get to know a lot better because I haven't been able to talk to you know Um, and so I think that's the biggest challenge the other thing too is I think like management is hard (laughs) and a lot of it is like troubleshooting conflict and like and um being clear on like what you have what you are responsible for and what you're not responsible for because when you're managing people it's like they are every person is going through their own challenges and you know sometimes i feel responsible for like intervening in all the challenges because i'm like if they you know like if they fail if they make a mistake it's like my fault you know and making sure that i personally like create boundaries around that so i'm not feeling like You know, I'm spending all of my energy on everyone's issues. Um, Yeah, I think probably like on that note, in general for organizers, like work life balance is really important and setting boundaries and taking care of your wellness is really important. What's really nice about young people doing a mental health campaign is that it's taught our youth team a lot about what it means to take care of our own wellness and mental health and like I think ever since we started our Healing in Our Hands, we've done so much more trainings on like, how to care for ourselves, how to set boundaries, how to make sure we're taking the time off that we need to rest. um, And how do we make sure that we're having like, the honest difficult conversations with young people so that we are both able to take care of each other um, through the work. Um, And so I think in general, like, probably for any job that might be a challenge and as an organizer who like works directly with community members, it may feel even harder to like balance just because, um, just because the work gets so personal. So, I, so, yeah, wellness management, balancing the external work with the community work, those are all um, challenges.
2: Thank you for sharing. Uh, I really like your emphasis on relationships and communication. Um, but my next question is, what resources do you think are needed to
1: address youth mental health?
2: Uh,
1: there's a lot. I mean, I would go back to kind of the demands that the young people created when they were doing our healing in our hands, because I think it's so relevant still. I mean, the first thing is that like, you know, there's so many interventions that you all want to make when it comes to mental health and those interventions require funding. And so like. Of course like wellness centers mental health work needs increased funding in order to be able to do the work the second is that um i'm continuing to hear stories about youth who see counselors who don't really understand like what they're navigating and especially as like young people of color don't really understand like what their experiences are and so how do we you know, number one, like hire staff and counselors who are people of color so that they understand what youth are navigating and also provide like training so that um, staff can better intervene when it comes to like what young people really need in times of like when they're experiencing mental health challenges. Um, yeah. yeah, and the third thing is, and this is all like, I'm just restating what like our membership has been fighting for their campaign but the third thing is like definitely preventative care resources and I'm not sure how that looks like yet personally but it's like I know that a lot of people go to the wellness center like sometimes they go to hang out but sometimes it's like they only see the wellness center when they're like referred to there because they're having like some sort of crisis and it's like how do we create you know bodies at schools resources at schools so that like you're not just going to wellness centers because you're in crisis but you're going to wellness centers because you want to, you know, like maintain your health, right? Like kind of like having a checkup at the doctor, like we should approach mental health the same way. Um, I think the most important one is like what our youth have been focusing on this past year, which is like youth governance and building youth power. Because like, I think there's a lot of issues at schools because I don't think that like, The people in power at schools really integrate youth voices the way they should be integrated. You all need to have power to actually make decisions and not just give feedback. And you all need to have enough power to determine exactly what resources you need so that you feel supported. And right now, I don't think there's a clear enough through line from from the student body to like school leadership in order to do that. And nor do I think that, like, you all have enough, like, voting power, decision-making power to be able determine that. And that's just me being real because, like, the school is good at giving surveys, but I don't think they're good at, like, being accountable to making sure that they, like, fulfill what was, like, asked for in the surveys. And so, like, if you if, you know, young people really want mental health resources that meet what their needs, the school needs to give you enough power to determine what that is. Um, yeah, I think those are the type of things that, that are, that our healing in our hands have been fighting for, and that I think are still super relevant now.
2: Yeah, so I think you said that, um, the school should be more accountable to, like, actually helping students. So is this kind of when you first realized that mental health was an issue that needed to be addressed?
1: No, I mean, I think... Okay, for me personally, in thinking about mental health, like it goes back to like when I was a student. And you know, when I was, when I was in high school, I didn't really have like youth programs growing like, up in my neighborhood. So I didn't really understand kind of what powers were at play. But what I did know is that in high school, like I had a lot of mental health challenges. And um, I went to a school that was kind of like Lowell in Orange County. It was like super academically competitive and tough. And like, I just like didn't understand why I went to this school and like, I was like anxious all the time, you know, and um, but didn't really have the words to understand what that meant. And then when I went to college, like I experienced burnout because I was like doing so many things. You know, I was like working a job, doing extracurriculars and going to school. And I didn't take the time that I needed to take care of myself. And it wasn't until like, when I was approaching my last year at college, that was when I like started to see a therapist and actually put in work to address my mental health. And like it, you know, I didn't do anything about it until I was like, literally like in bed, not motivated to go to class, like just so paralyzed, you know? And um, that what was sparked my original passion for mental health because, I was like in a position where I was like, why couldn't I address this until I was like literally hitting rock bottom. And my life has changed so much since I've addressed my mental health. And when I joined CPA, that was around the time the young people were starting the mental health campaign. And so I thought it was like such a wonderful coincidence that I decided to join this org at a time where they were starting mental health work because Mental health was an issue that I was so passionate about because, like, of my own experiences dealing with anxiety, dealing with depression and burnout in college, and then, like, you know, advocating for myself in order to get what I needed. Um, yeah. And so that was what stark sparked my passion for mental health and wanting to address it. For the young people, though, um, when they were coming up with this campaign in 2017, it w- they were thinking about it. It was like, you know, a few months after like Trump got elected and what they started seeing was that like students of color in particular and LGBTQ plus students were experiencing like a lot of attacks, harassment, xenophobia, you know, so on and so forth. And they saw that with their peers, that their mental health was getting worse due to like the climate Um, and like. And I think they were experiencing like a lot of academic pressure too. And um, because of the urgency of the situation, like that was when they just decide, like decided that they wanted to campaign for mental health. And I believe they were picking between like mental health, housing or an immigration campaign and, I, and overwhelmingly mental health was selected for that reason.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for um, sharing your experiences with mental health um, So do you think there are some common misconceptions about mental health that you think should be addressed?
1: Um, I think the biggest one is uh, like that mental health is like an individual issue versus like a societal issue. Like when folks talk about mental health, they're always like, we got to do awareness. We got to like talk to each other about it and we just need to support each other, which I think is great. And it goes deeper than that. Um, mental health is caused by like, it can be caused by a lack of stable housing. It could be caused by growing up in a low income family and not having any time to take care of yourself because you're trying to take care of your family members, you're trying to work jobs, you're trying to provide for everyone. It can be caused by working like really long hours um, because you don't get paid enough, right? To, because you have to resource yourself. And it can be caused by an educational system that doesn't value your well-being, but it just values like grades and like academics. And so like when someone experiences a mental health challenge, it's not just because of like a singular event or like an individual issue. It's because of like so many systems that are at play that contribute to why they're experiencing mental health issues. Um, Yeah, and, and that relates to like the different systems of oppression that are at play, right? Like everything I mentioned comes from a greater issue. It comes from like wage inequality in capitalism. It comes from like um, the educational system and, and how that impacts young people. Comes from like the lack of affordable housing, especially in San Francisco. And it even comes from like different levels of discrimination that people face, you know, because of the patriarchy, because of like white supremacy and racism. Um, and I think that a lot of people don't talk about that enough, you know, like when we talk about mental health, we're always like, ah, we got to support each other because we're feeling down because school's tough and I'm like, yes, yes to all of that. And there's more to it. And so we have to be able to dive deeper and realize that if we're going to change how people experience mental health, we also have to change their ability to have access to affordable housing, to get a good paying job, to get to be able to get food on the table every day and to not experience discrimination and harassment.
2: Okay, so I really like how you related this issue to other bigger issues. Mm -hmm. And also thank you for sharing a little bit about your personal experience. Um, What influenced you to get a degree in cognitive science?
1: Whoa, I don't even know how you found that out. Okay, so maybe it's because I sent a bio or something. Okay, um, cognitive science. So yeah, you all know that I like am passionate about mental health and um, I, my life goal, like, I really like one day like wanna be a therapist and wanna do coaching and I wanna do it while also like doing, working with like an like a organizing um, job. And um, cognitive science was really interesting to me because it was a way to kind of study how the brain works, but like study it in different levels. It's technically considered an interdisciplinary studies major and interdisciplinary studies pretty much means that you're studying like a mishmash of things in order to get like one concept. And so cognitive science studies the brain by looking at um, neuroscience, which is, you know, the the biology of how the brain works, looking at psychology, um, looking at um, linguistics, which is like the study of like words and how people receive words, even looking at philosophy and then looking at like, um, society and culture and how that in- impacts our brain and how we perceive things. And so, and a part of it is even like a little bit of computer science and looking at artificial intelligence and how like, people replicate how the brain works in robots, which is interesting, but it wasn't my cup of tea because I'm like really bad at like anything tech related. And I just wanted to study kind of like the, the psychology and the science part and the philosophy part of it. Um, and so that's what I really liked about the major. And one of my favorite classes was studying like the mental health, it was a class called developmental psychopathology and pretty much you studied the mental health of infants all the way to adults and how like mental health challenges evolve when you grow up into adulthood if it's not addressed. And then kind of like looking at the nature and nurture aspect of mental health, like what part of it is actually genetics and what part of it is activated by the environment around you. And so looking at things like that was really interesting. And, you know, I knew I wanted to practice mental health forever, because it was something that I really loved. Um, And so it just gave me some more, like, I guess, nuance in how I looked at the brain and and how people perceive the world. Um, Yeah, so that's a little bit of why I got into the major.
2: Yeah, that's pretty interesting about, like, studying mental health throughout, like, a lot of stages of life and the nature versus nurture part of it. So now I kind of want to circle back to the our healing in our hands part. So how do you feel like that campaign is effective when addressing mental health in the community?
1: Yeah, um, I would love it. Like Michelle should you should ask Michelle more about this because she's been involved in like you should. If you want, I can connect you to like our, the former youth who like originally started the campaign because like they would have so much to share. But in my opinion, like the reason why I believe so much in the campaign that they were building is because it not only addressed resources for mental health, but it addressed like larger structural change. Um, and the structural change was around like building youth power and youth voice. And you don't see a lot of campaigns that do that. I think you a lot of, you see a lot of campaigns that advocate for more like awareness events, more outreach events and things like that. Um, but what this campaign was pushing for was not just, because I think that's great work, work, you know, and you have to go beyond that too, like the outreach and awareness, and also like the power that the student body and young people in general need in order to influence how mental health, um, imp- like how they can be supported in their mental health. And then it also addressed kind of like the resources that people really need to get there, right? And so everything I listed before, um, Um, I felt like were important too, you know? And um, something that I didn't mention was that um, our membership identified wanting to do like peer coaching um, at schools as a way to address mental health. And I thought that was a really interesting idea because it came out of like a few focus groups that we ran um, like in 2018 when we were like preparing to launch the campaign. And um, what we heard a lot from young people were like, oh, I don't go to the wellness center because I don't really trust adults. And I think if I had peers who were kind of like trained to support me and I was trained to support other peers, that would, I would feel more comfortable going to wellness centers. And um, I thought that was really powerful because it encouraged this like idea of collective care and like, We know that right now Wellness Center staff are being like really overworked and they're really overwhelmed because there's a lot of students who navigate mental health challenges and there's not enough resources to help meet their needs but if we can like collectivize mental health by distributing the responsibility to not only adults but to young people too and um and train up young people to better support their peers because we all know that like regardless of whether you see a therapist you're still relying on your friends to support you And so wouldn't it be better if, like, your friends were, like, and you were, like, prepared to support each other, you know? So, like, peer coaching was such a cool idea because it supported young people being trained up to do that work. And it also changes the notion that mental health is an individual issue and allows um, community to be a part of the process and taking care of each other. Um, and so that was another part of our healing in our hands that I really resonated with. Um, yeah. And it also like, of course, like promotes youth leadership, which I'm all about. Um, but yeah, I think that was, that's kind of like the reasons why, um, I thought the campaign was really effective in what they were asking for.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for explaining about, um, our healing in our hands. And I really like that. It um, addresses a larger structural change, and I think you mentioned that how um, mental health is kind of rooted in systemic inequality. So, what fueled your fueled your interest in supporting like marginalized groups, like the low like low income and community of colors?
1: I mean, to put it simply, like that's the community that I grew up with, and so like this work is really really personal to me. And like um, I'm Vietnamese, and I and my, I'm a child of refugee parents. And like, um, yeah, like just, I don't know. Like when I grew up, I, I didn't have a lot of understanding about who I was, and I was really ashamed of who I was because like my parents didn't really talk about what it means to be refugees and to resettle in America because of like the Vietnam War. And like growing up working class, like, you know, I felt like I had to grow up really fast, like, you know, I had two siblings and I was the middle child and uh, we relied on each other a lot. And and it was like, it wasn't, you know, I learned a lot and it was really challenging growing up knowing that you had to like take on a caretaker role and you had to also support your parents while like, you know, while I was only like in like elementary school, middle school. um, And so I knew that like, I needed to somehow get into a career that would help me contribute back in some way because I don't think I would be where I am without the support of my family, but also like all the community members around me who fought for me and all the people who fought for the policy and the structural change that was needed in order for me to like be you know, for example, have access to free lunch, you know, like be able to like go to college and be able to help, you know, be able to get grants in order to pay for school, like all of those things. Like there's a lot of people who fought for me to be able to get to where I am. And um, I also know that there's like a lot of people that are being left behind too, and that don't have access to the same resources that I was able to get in order to get to where I am. And so, yeah, yeah. and so I'm like, how could you not want to get involved in work like this when you're, when you group, you know, when you're just like, when I see it every day, like the experience is so visceral, like how many people are still struggling and how many of my own community members are still struggling, like how do I not um, be involved in some way to like really fight for all of us. And I know that like fighting for Mojo, fighting for the youth and fighting for my community, it also means I'm fighting for myself. Cause like I mentioned, like um, I learned a lot through the Our Healing In Our Hands campaign about taking care of myself. And I feel like over the last, you know, almost four years at CPA, I've just become such a different person. Um, and so I, to put it briefly, it's like, you know, I grew up with this experience. I need to, I need to make sure we all get the benefits that we need and it's a personal thing for me and i'm not going to stop until like we all get what you know the resources that we're trying to fight for um and that like if i fight for my community i fight for myself
2: thank you for sharing um how do you think your double minors have helped you in your job and what you fight for
1: um Yeah, so, okay, so I did the double minor in Asian American Studies and Disability Studies, and I wanted to do it because I needed more of like a societal, cultural angle to like the mental health work that I wanted to do. And Asian American Studies helped me, number one, like understand my story a lot better and also understand kind of like um, the different structural frameworks and institutional oppression that um, my community was facing um, and the different angles of how to like, look at the challenges my community was experiencing and also the moments of like resilience and the moments of victory and accomplishments that my community experienced. And so it just kind of helped me understand myself better and also get the landscape a lot better because like, you know, even though I'm like Asian, like, I only know my own story. And so I I felt like I needed to know more about it. And then the the disability studies was um, a way to look at how like, disabled people have been impacted by society. And it intersects with mental health, because I think a lot of people experiencing mental health challenges do identify as disabled. And again, it's not just like, an individual issue where you see a therapist and you're okay, it impacts like how you show up in society and how society treats you. And there's a lot of discrimination and prejudice with people who experience disabilities. Um, and so I wanted to also like have some space to process that more and to be able to study that more too. And that was really eye-opening. I think I learned, I, I learned the most probably studying that minor.
2: Yeah, thanks for telling us how you decided to choose like, or why you decided to choose doing those two double minors. Um, Now, I think this is going to be our last question. So it's about our community action project. So we're doing it about mental health and we made it a five episode podcast. And we made a website that is accessible to the public to raise awareness. So right now it currently has the topics of misconceptions, personal experiences, resources for people with mental health, issues and then awareness around mental health but is there anything else you think we should add
1: i think it's a great framework and i would say like if you were to add anything it would be around like the question i answered around those misconceptions of mental health where it's like like i think education is such a powerful tool and a podcast is an accessible way to make sure that people around you are educated and we're not going to be able to change um anything unless we're able to change the hearts and minds of people and a podcast a lot of the time changes hearts and minds and yeah like i think you know the subject areas sound good and i'm like if you are able to add anything that would like further support people and understanding how mental health is tied to like other systemic issues um That'd be awesome. But then again, it's like your podcast and it's your choice. And um I know it's gonna make a big impact.
2: Yeah, so I think if no one else has any more questions, um Andre, you can you can um close this out. Uh okay. Uh so I think it's time to wrap up our interview. Uh thank you so much for being here and telling us giving us all this information we really appreciate it um and it's really educational for us and it's really useful for our project um and we really appreciate it um uh yeah thank you so much again for being here
1: no problem Um, thanks so much for inviting me and um yeah i'm so excited to see your podcast project and make sure you share it with us and we can put it on our social media too so really excited
2: yeah for sure
1: cool all right thanks you all thank you bye have a good day let me know if you need anything else you have my email so bye
0: well that concludes episode 3 of the podcast hopefully you enjoyed it and if you did you could probably leave a follow it doesn't really matter but we'll end it off with a song and let it finish